Welcome to the Raised to Stay podcast. I'm Natalie Runyon, your host, and I'm so glad you are joining us. I pray that every episode introduces you to a Jesus you've always wanted to know and reminds you that out of all the reasons we have to quit, we have one reason to stay, Jesus. Hey, stayers. Welcome to the Raise the Stay podcast. I am your host, Natalie Runyon. And today we are going to be talking about Raise to Stay through identity crisis. Many of you have asked me my own personal story, and you've caught bits and pieces of it on the Raise to Stay Instagram page through those black boxes where I have nodded towards some of what we're going to talk about. But today we're going to go right in, and I'm going to be honest, and it could be painful. I will go ahead and prepare myself for that. But I feel like it's time to talk about this because I hope it helps others. I hope that this conversation helps you realize you're not alone, that even though we as God's children are not one trick ponies, it hurts when God takes something from us or we are asked to surrender something to Him. And I'm fresh out of that. And obviously you guys are seeing a byproduct of that through Raise This Day. You're seeing the book, you're seeing the Instagram account. But if I'm honest, the last six years of my life have been the toughest six years of ministry in my entire life. And as a pastor's kid and someone who has been in the church since I came out of the womb, that's saying a lot to say that these last six years have been the hardest for me. Back in 2017, my family moved from Cincinnati, Ohio to Colorado Springs, Colorado for a dream job for me to lead worship. And it seemed like God had finally seen me, like all of the hard work of leading worship in smaller churches and Bible studies and prisons and homeless shelters. It just seemed like suddenly it was making sense that God had seen me. And I felt like it was such a kingdom promotion to be asked to come be part of a dream team and a dream church and to have the dream job. And so we packed up our home and our children and we drove the 13 to 1500 miles it takes to get out here into a place where we weren't known and we didn't know anyone and and nobody could really validate um, us or vouch for us that we were good people. And I was leaving a place where everybody knew us and trusted us and knew our hearts for ministry in the church. And I could have led worship in a church on a different corner every weekend had we stayed in Cincinnati. And yet the Lord called us into this um, place of obscurity and a land that we had no idea where we were going. And we get out here and I start my job and we're renting a home and our kids are starting a new school. And it felt like a worthy sacrifice, you know, as scary as it was to make that leap from my hometown to the strange new city, it felt like God had really given us um, a favor and a blueprint for how we were to navigate this new season. And about two years in, I realized that this is not at all what I had signed up for. I was not confident in my gifting. I was terrified on Sunday mornings before I led worship that I was gonna mess up. I spent Saturday nights with stomach aches and just being physically ill before I led, being afraid I was going to mess up. I had entered a high pressure situation where something that I had loved and adored my entire life, worship being this gateway for me into ministry, into loving the people of God, it suddenly became like a kryptonite 
where anytime I led worship, I was making mistakes and I was fearful. And it wasn't the kind of fear of understanding the weight of responsibility that I was carrying as a leader. It was fear of failure, fear of getting fired, fear of messing up. And whether that was put on me by leadership or that was put on me by my own um, insecurities, you know, is probably a combination of both. But I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And I found myself wondering why, God, would you bring us all the way out here to do something that I felt like was a promise fulfilled only for it to be one of the worst seasons of my life. And I remember being in the kitchen with my husband in our rental and just being like, we have to go back. We just have to go home. We need to go back to where everybody knows us. We have to go back to where everything feels familiar. In other words, I want to go back to being comfortable. And the Lord was just not going to let that happen. And my husband and I agreed, we need to stay. We need to find out why God brought us here. A few months into that two years being out here in Colorado and I moved from the worship department to women's ministry. There was no explanation for it. There was no debating. There was no conversation. It was just, hey, you know what? You were a worship leader, but now we need you to go be in women's ministry. And I remember that walk of shame from packing up my worship office that I was so proud of where I was with my new friends. I had contended for that community. I loved those people, even as hard as some of those relationships had been. Like that was my home. That's what I knew. I remember packing up that worship office and moving offices to a new place in the building where I was kind of secluded and away from everyone. In fact, the only way people came to talk to me was if they had to go to the bathroom because the bathroom was like right there. And I would sit in journal to the Lord and be like, why did you do this to me? I feel like you have bait and switched me. I feel like you tricked me. You brought me out here. You knew I would never move my family to be a women's pastor. I love women. Like I, I'm fine with them, but like, that's not what my heart is. That's not what I do. I don't teach. I don't preach. I don't write messages. Like I'm a songwriter. And I just was having like that temper tantrum in that office every single day. And I was begging God, let me go, release me. I felt like Paul in the Corinthians where he's like, just take this thorn from my flesh. Like, I don't wanna do it anymore. And at the time I was not under a healthy leader. There was a lot happening in that time where I felt like God had forsaken me, that he had kind of tricked me into coming out here. And now he was forcing me to do something that I didn't wanna do and that I didn't even know how to do, which I think for a lot of us is really um, a key thing to acknowledge is that it's not that we don't want to do anything else. We just haven't been taught how to do anything else. And so for two years, I sat in that office and I fought with the Lord. I wrestled with the Lord into the pandemic. God, don't make me do this. Don't make me do this. You cannot make me do this. And it was during that time that I was on a walk with the dog, looking at the mountain and thinking, you know, God, thank you for bringing me to Colorado Springs. It's beautiful. But I did not sign up for this. This is not the life that I envisioned when we came out here. And it was in that time on that walk that the Lord dropped that phrase, raised to stay into my spirit and really showed me that he had brought us here for something completely different than worship. And the struggle was really me having to hand him over my identity as a worship leader, my identity as a songwriter, as someone who was on a platform every week and allow him to show me why he had brought us here. 
And he did have to take it from my cold, dead hands. He did. So much of our lives is around what people are going to think of us and how they're going to perceive us. And I was so afraid that when people saw that I had transitioned from worship into something different, that they would associate that with failure or a mistake that we came out here uh, for one thing and it wasn't what we thought and that people would pity me or they would talk about me. And there was just such a struggle still in my spirit of me needing people to see me a certain way and to um, perceive me a different way. And the Lord was just knocking that out of me. He was taking every bit of that pride that was in me and he was showing me that he was going to have his way and that if I was willing to surrender it, that it would start to make sense. But you guys, when I say that I wrestled with the Lord, it was a wrestling like I have never experienced before. And I knew he was going to make something out of it. But that's when I started writing those black boxes. That's when I started writing the, those Instagram posts where I was just kind of putting it out there like, does anybody else feel this way? Is anybody else feeling like we just had the rug like jerked out from under us and yet we're still expected to like show up and be faithful, even though it's not the thing that we thought we were going to be doing? And I was thinking through all of scripture, like who else felt this way? Who else was in this position? And Paul is such a great example of that. But there's even more. I mean, there's Esther. She didn't know what she was going to be walking out. And, you know, Joseph found himself in a pit. And, you know, Moses, man, I mean, he had to like go back up the mountain again, right? I mean, there's just like so many things that we could reference back to. But for my generation in particular, and by that, I mean, Gen X, early millennials, you know, we didn't have social media growing up. So we didn't really have a way to keep track of people. And so when someone would start a new assignment or they would go somewhere, it was kind of like, hey, see you in heaven. Like there was no way to stay in touch except through through phones. And now with social media, I mean, you could track where everybody's at and what they're doing. And we're showing highlight reels. And I went from showing myself on a platform singing in front of all these people with this great team to suddenly having nothing to show for why we were coming out here. And it's so gross to even say that, but I'm just being honest. Like I wrestled so hard with perception and what people were going to think about me if I wasn't a worship leader, if I wasn't doing the thing that had brought us out here. And when he gave me Raise to Stay, it was this little tiny Instagram account where I just was saying, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. This is not who I am. It's not what I do. And God just kept telling me, no, you're right. That is not who you are. It's not all you can do. I have more for you. One of my favorite girl preachers is Sarah Jakes Roberts. And on that walk, I was literally listening to her preach about how God won't change his mind about us, but he will change his method and how he uses us. And I was so convicted by that because I'm like, this is my story. Like God used me in worship for 20 years. And now he's asking me if he can change his method and how he uses me. And I'm over here saying, no, like you can't change that method because I don't know how to do anything else. And he's like, exactly. I'm going to show you how I'm going to use you in other ways, but you have to let go and surrender this identity piece to me so that I have full freedom to use you in all the ways I have planned for you. You have so many tool belts in your tool belt, Natalie. Like you have so many things you can do. You just don't know how to use them. And this is a season that I want to teach you how to use them.
I will be honest that teaching for me is hard. I wrestle with, am I being theologically correct? Am I using the context of the scripture right? I didn't go to seminary. I didn't train for this. You know, all of my training had been in worship. And so this started a whole new journey with me and Jesus of learning his word and being in his word differently. Not that I wasn't when I was a worship leader, but I mean, let's be honest, guys. The reason we like being worship leaders is because we get to do our talent. We get to play an instrument. We get to sing. It's not as like intense as it is to get up behind a pulpit and preach a 30 to 40 minute message um, where people are literally taking notes and listening to the word that you're speaking that is not just a song somebody wrote from 10 years ago, but actual prophetic thoughts that the Lord has given you for that group. I mean, the, the weight is just different. It's still weighty to be a worship leader, but to be a preacher of the gospel just feels like even more weighty. I feel the same weight when I write a song or I'm writing a book to make sure that what I'm putting on people's mouths is correct theology. What I'm putting in their heads is correct theology. And so this was scary for me to hand over something that felt so familiar to go into something that was completely unknown. And I'm still learning how to do that three years later. It was during this whole identity crisis that the leader I was under who was not healthy, was telling me things like, you're not a thought leader and you're never going to be this and you're never going to do that. And you start to believe those things. Like, well, if I'm not a worship leader and now I'm not a thought leader and I'm not ever gonna be given the opportunity to write a book or whatever, then what is my job in the kingdom? Like, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? And I want to just say to you all that this is why healthy leadership is so important in the church and why narcissistic, toxic, leadership can turn into abuse because our own words over each other can stop us from stepping into the new thing. And had I listened to that, had I believed that, it would have become so much harder for me to really embrace this raise to stay thing God had given me because I would have believed that I wasn't good enough and that I was just something or I wasn't something. And that's why good, healthy leadership over us when we're in these seasons of transition is so vital. Even when we ourselves are feeling insecure as leaders, we have to make sure that we're not putting that on the people God has asked us to lead. And my church hurt has come primarily from people telling me who I'm not, who I'll never be, why I won't be able to do X, Y, and Z. And I think that we have to name that. We have to be able to say, look, I was hurt by that. Had it not been by the grace of God or for good mentors in my life outside of that leader, my own spouse, my own you know, family, I might have believed that I wouldn't be good enough. And how much wreckage and carnage is there in the church now of people who didn't step into their God thing because there were leaders over them who were saying what they would never be. And I think I identity plays such a massive part in our walk with the Lord, in our obedience to do the thing He's called us to do, because those over us are trusted to speak that life into us, to speak that prophetic voice into us. And so I just want to challenge leaders as we're leading the younger generation, we may not see what God has put inside of them. We may not know what it is. We may not even have any prophetic insight into what they're carrying, but our job is not to tell them who they aren't but to tell them who they are. And that's why Raised to Stay has been so important for me as a voice 
if you would call it as an influential voice, is to be what I needed in my 20s and 30s when God was just beginning to show me what He wanted to do in me and through me. Fast forward six years later, and I still have some open wounds when it comes to worship. There was a season that I couldn't even listen to worship music because it just grieved me. Um, I don't know that I even went into the sanctuary for very many Sundays because I just kept looking up there and thinking I should be up there. What, what was it about me that wasn't good enough to be up there? And having to just really debunk some of the lies that I had been believing from the enemy, whether people placed them on me or not, this was a hard work I had to do in my own soul to begin to surrender my identity as a worship leader and say, no, I'm not just a worship leader. I'm a child of God. I have more to offer the kingdom than just singing or writing music. I can be exactly who God has created me to be as a pastor and leader and a brother and sister in Christ. I don't have to just be this one thing. And so it took a long time for me to reconcile my new self, like who I was in Christ, which is actually a daughter. I am Natalie. I am not Natalie the worship leader. I am not Natalie raised to stay, but I am Natalie the daughter of the Almighty King who can do anything that I need to do for the kingdom if God is with me. And if He's with me and He has called me to it, He will equip me to do it. And I don't have to be afraid of people. I don't have to be afraid of all of the things that are around me or failure because if God's in it, if God is for me, then who can be against me, right? And so for this audience, for those of you listening right now, I don't know what your identity is. Maybe you're a pastor, you're a leader, an administrator, whatever your role is as a high-level volunteer, you're more than that thing. You are so much more. And God is going to change the way He uses us every single day, not to cause us pain, but to confuse an enemy who already knows what we're good at. He's already seen us do things and knows what we you know, show up with every single day. And, and the Lord wants to use us in new and fresh ways, not to make our lives harder, but to bring Him more glory and to uh, bring us into spaces that we would have never stepped foot into had we only been doing one thing for Him. We sell ourselves short when we say, I'm only this, or I only do that. And when we go, into church staff and we only are willing to do the thing that we like or we're only willing to do the thing that gives us life, it's really limiting how God can use us when we are refusing to surrender what we want for His will. I want to remind us all, and this is a hard reality, that our first choice is not always God's best. Yes, worship will probably always be my first choice because it's what I know. But that doesn't mean it's what's best from the Lord for my life or for his kingdom. He's not interested in making my dreams come true. He's not interested in making your dreams come true. This is why I say all the time, the church is not a talent agency. Because if our expectation on the church is that they are going to just let us do whatever we want, whenever we want to, that they're going to give us a platform and a microphone and let us just go to town, we're going to be disappointed because God in his goodness, he doesn't let us get trapped in just one thing. His house is more like a smorgasbord. It's more like a buffet. He has put all of this goodness out in front of us and saying, you get to pick, which one do you really like? And we get to pick, that's what I like. And he's like, good. But also on that plate, I want you to put a couple other things. And our willingness to surrender to that 
I believe, is really what is going to make and break how we handle these years ahead of us as we age in ministry, as we transition in ministry, to have open hands, to have clean hands and pure heart before the Lord. And like Mary said to God, be it unto me as you have said. Be it unto me as you have said. I am sure Mary had different plans for her life and giving birth as a teenager, as a virgin teenager was not on her bingo card, but yet her response to the Lord was be it unto me as you have said. And guys, guess what? Women's ministry was not on my 2019 bingo card starting a large ministry that has become a movement that terrifies me sometimes was not on my 2021 bingo card. I had no idea that I was going to be writing a book that I would be in this space with you guys now. But I will tell you that God's ways are better than ours. And I am the happiest that I have ever been. I am walking out his calling for my life, but it took staying through an identity crisis for me to get to this point. If we quit every time we don't get what we want, if we quit when things don't always plan the way that we thought they were going to, when we quit because somebody took something from us that we thought we were always going to have, we are never going to see the goodness of God. We are never going to see him finish what he started if we quit. And so if you are wrestling right now with identity, if you are saying, look, I thought life was gonna look like this, but actually it's looking like this. I started out doing this one thing. Now I'm doing something different. Don't let the enemy rob you of that joy. Don't let him tell you you're not good enough. Don't let him tell you that people are saying things behind your back and thinking that you're a failure. Every day, wake up, choose obedience. Remember that we said yes to Jesus before we said yes to a talent, before we said yes to a position. Don't try church hopping, looking for better opportunities to use your giftings and your callings. It could be that God is asking you to stay planted right where you are so that he can finish the work that he started in you. Don't uproot before the bloom. You have no idea what God has for you. And I am living proof right now, the sound of my voice, I am living proof that when we sacrifice all of our wants and all of our needs and desires to the Lord, that He will make a way that is very straight, that has good purpose and a good plan, and He will never leave us or forsake us, but we have to stay through that identity crisis so that He can show us what He really created us to do. For me, it's to encourage the church. Can I lead worship? Sure. Can I play a piano? Sure. But those are just a few of the tools that He's put in my tool belt. And you too have many other things that He has called you to do. And He is going to continue to equip you to do even more things to make His name known above all other names. Thanks for listening, you guys. And we will see you next time on the Raise to Stay podcast.